0: good morning. Uh, For those of you who are guests and haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Chase. I'm the main lead pastor here. And it's good to open up God's word with you. And and I'll just make a comment as we were singing, Behold Your God. It is great hearing kind of the harmony that was going on there uh, as predominantly male voices. You will reign forever. And then you ladies were on cue. uh, Let your glory fill the earth. I think that's it, and, uh, but anyway, it was, uh, it was good to uh, hear that, and uh, I think truly a taste of heaven. Hopefully, those of you online maybe got to pick up on that, and hopefully those of you in our overflow in the gym were able to participate as well. Well, one of the great joys that, uh, that we've experienced here in our church over the past few years is a steady increase in weddings. Uh, we, we, we now have weddings all the time. And, uh, but that wasn't always the case, at least since I've been here. I remember uh, about five years ago, I was uh, sitting with a group of you and was reflecting, you know, there's not been a single wedding in this church since I've been here. And, and, and the people I was with had been at this church for decades, and, and they kind of thought about it, and they said, you know, that, that's right, we haven't had many if any, weddings at all here at the church. But, but certainly that has changed. Now uh, it is common to have multiple weddings a year, and, uh, and, and oftentimes it, it starts cramming, and we got to make sure we have uh, the calendar set and, and, and spread them out. That way we can all um, you know, have them scheduled. And, and for many of you, you know that it's not uncommon to start receiving uh, those invitations in the mail. And often with those invitations, what usually comes with it is a, a little card that says, you know, please RSVP, uh, you know, how many people are going to attend or I will not be attending. Well, when I grew up, uh, my mom was always really prompt on those things and she often would um, tell me that we, we must reply to this RSVP even though we are not attending Because this is an etiquette that we need to adhere to. This is uh, showing uh, courtesy or a sign of respect to those who are hosting this wedding or whatever event it may be. Uh, That way they can plan accordingly. Well, in my experience today, uh, and this is probably a shame to my generation and down, uh, any of you who've maybe planned a wedding recently or planned an event, you don't always get that many RSVPs anymore, do you? Uh, It's as if that etiquette is kind of thrown out the window. Oh, who cares? Oh, I misplaced it. Yeah, it's sitting there on my fridge Oh, that was due last week. I forgot. You know what? They'll have plenty of food. I'll show up anyway That seems to be how it is and I can tell you even as as pastors whenever we host events and we're asking for RSVP we, We we pretty much have a low bar We're just like, you know, if we can just get a sense, oh, there's enough interest, okay, 10 people rsvp that means there'll be 100 people there. You know, we we, kind of just have to gauge the, the mathematical formula. Well, in the ancient world, RSVPs carried an even greater weight than maybe the bygone era that has happened here. In fact, in the ancient world, there would have been two wedding invitations that would go out, and, and wedding invitations weren't your nice little cards that would go. It would be through a herald. Someone would come and literally announce to you that there was a wedding, and you were invited, and, and so servants would go out or you would, you would have one-on-one conversation. And the first announcement was just to let you know, there will be a wedding, the date to be determined. So just keep your schedules flexible. That was kind of the sense of it. And, and weddings in these days typically lasted a whole week. This was a, a festivity. And especially if you were going out of town, the host would be responsible for housing you, having you over. Uh, this was a major ordeal. And so it would be a commitment for you to come if you agreed. Yes, I will come to the wedding. I am RSVPing, as we might call it. Uh, you needed to come. Because preparations were being made, significant ones, and, and that was a commitment on you. I've got to have time in my week to show up. But also for the host, it was going to be a commitment to entertain all the guests who would come. And then when the wedding time was ready, the feast was ready, all the things that were to be prepared, then another announcement would go out, letting you know, well, it's time. Come to the wedding. You know, some of you would be like, man, we've got to have this organized just a little bit better. But that's just how it was. And a failure to attend would be incredibly disrespectful. It would be disrespectful to the host, but it would bring great shame upon you and your family. It, it, it was basically turning your back on these people who have thought enough of you to invite you. Now, heighten this even more to think if you were invited to a royal wedding. Well, this is the occasion here in the parable of the wedding feast. A royal wedding, a royal celebration is occurring uh, where a king is going to set a feast, a celebration for his son. But of course, if you've been listening to Jesus and, and are familiar with the Gospels at all, you know that though this story is about a wedding, it really isn't about a wedding, right? This isn't so much about not RSVPing, um, This is about something far greater. Jesus even tells us here that the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a royal wedding celebration. That is, the joy and celebration that is going to characterize the kingdom of heaven is likened to a royal wedding. It's not uncommon for weddings to be associated with the things of God, God's kingdom. In fact, in the Old Testament, Uh, God's people anticipated the Messianic age, the age from which the the Redeemer King would come, bring blessings to the earth, remove the curse of sin, thorns and thistles would be no more, sickness and death would be removed, and it would be likened to a great wedding feast, a marriage supper that lasts forever forever. God's people are often called the bride or the wife of God. And that's why when Israel would delve into idolatry with foreign nations and and false gods, they were often accused of adultery and breaking the marriage vow before their God. And so, with the arrival of Jesus, who is now the long awaited king, he is the bridegroom. He has come in essence, this parable is letting us know that the final invitation is being announced. The wedding feast is ready. The kingdom has been prepared. It is time to come. And in this parable, Jesus is letting us know that the announcement has come first to the Jews. It has come to Israel. Yet what we're going to see, and is evident in this parable, is that by and large, the nation of Israel ignored the invitation. Uh, They said they wanted to come. They marked on the card, yes, I'll be in attendance with my family, but when the time came, they spurned the invitation. They ignored it. But as the scripture puts elsewhere, their trespass has led to riches for the world. In other words, the kingdom has been prepared, and the king will fill his wedding hall with guests. All are now invited, and because uh, this celebration is going on, he is going to see that it does not go to waste. Yet, what I want to encourage us this morning, is that we must not make the same mistake as the nation of Israel. Israel's is blinded by a superficial devotion to the Lord. Where really they were just living for themselves. And when the time came to come and the king was here, the bridegroom was there, the wedding feast was ready, they had other things they were interested in. And so they failed to heed the call of the kingdom. But for us, we must respond to the wedding invitation of the kingdom so that we may share in the joyful union of Christ and his bride forever and ever, and we would escape the coming judgment upon the world for for all those who have spurned his grace. With this in mind, I want us to see this morning four compelling reasons we must respond to the wedding invitation of the kingdom. I want to give you four reasons that you should not be indifferent to this invitation. That you should take it up. You should say, yep, I am ready to go. Whenever the king calls, I am coming. And the first reason that you need to respond to this invitation is because of God's persistent patience. God's persistent patience. Now Jesus has likened the kingdom here to a royal wedding. He he says there's a human king and he's going to throw a wedding celebration for his son. But notice This is is out of his great generosity that he wants people to share in the joy and celebration and love between a father and his son. Now just think about this for a minute. Any of you ever been invited to a royal wedding? You know, when we usually, we, we're kind of foreign to these things, but, you know, whenever you see, uh, you know, the, 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 the royal family in Great Britain, you know, none of you get an invitation, do you? In fact, most people don't get an invitation, even if you live in the city that they live in, London. You're not invited, right? No, you can watch it on TV, but you can't come. You can't enjoy our food. You can't enjoy our festivities. This isn't for you. No, this is for Us and our friends. This is for an elite. To get an invitation to the royal wedding, well, you need to be in some elite company, don't you think? But notice this king, and it becomes evident, he invites the whole city. He says, everyone can come. Everyone can come and celebrate and be a part of this wedding feast. Would you look in verse three. He sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. would not come. It seems that as if, though the king has shown great generosity, that no one cares. No one cares that they've been invited to the wedding. They didn't want to come. Now, if you're anything like me, your response would be filled with anger, bitterness. Oh, that's the last time I will show you any favor. You little peons, you, you, you are going to spurn my royal wedding? You never get to treat in in all the festivities. I have extended it to you, and you're just going to act like I'm nobody? I think all of us would be offended. We would be bitter. We would be angered. And we would say maybe, fine, just so you know, you're no longer invited, right? That's probably what we'd say. Or we'd play it off, well, you weren't invited anyway, right? Right? That's not what this king does. Even though his servants go out and they start going, hey, you're invited, it's time to come, it's time to come. They come back to the king they say, hey, king, no one wants to come. No one wants to come share in the celebration that you will have for your son. But notice what he does. He sends more servants, verse four. He sends more servants out and he lets everyone know. He says, "See, look up at the kingdom. Do you see all the balloons? You see all the lights, you see all the tents, you see all the festivities? Guess what? The meal is ready. In fact, can you smell the scent of all the food that is prepared? Just just come look. It is all ready for you. In fact, the finest of meats have been prepared." The ox and the fattened calves, we're going to have lamb tonight. In fact, to when I go to uh, Muscle and Burger Bar, you know what I like to get? The Mediterranean burger, which is the lamb burger. It is fantastic. He says there is lamb and it is a free-for-all buffet. You can just keep coming. This isn't, this isn't Golden Corral. This is, this, is, this is something good, okay? You're not going to have pudding droppings on your steak. Uh, you know th- this is good stuff. Come and see. I love what it says here at the end of verse four. Everything is ready. Everything, your housing, all your expenses, everything's ready. All you have to do is come. All you have to do. Be here. I've spared no expense. The king doesn't lose patience, does he? I mean, he's pleading with them. See, this isn't a joke. I know it may seem too good to be true, but just look up. I've opened up the kingdom gates. He's seeking to entice them while they repeatedly refuse. But notice, not everyone's refusal was the same. We see here in verse 5, but they paid no attention and and went off, one to his farm and another to his business. Some just were like, "I, I don't have time for this. I've got work to do. I need to get back to my farming. I need to uh, attend to some other business. Life goes on. Sorry, I didn't make time. I know you've been telling me this day is coming, but I have not been preparing. In fact, I have more important things to do. And while this is a description of what Jesus experienced and the prophets experienced, this is true of what I think we experience, right, when we take the gospel out. I think this is, by and large, the response that we see, just an indifference. I can tell you how many times uh, one of you has come and told me, hey, pastor, will you be praying for so-and-so? I invited them, and they said they're coming. I can't wait to invite, uh, introduce you to them. And then that Sunday comes, and I say, hey, did so-and-so hear? No. They didn't answer the phone when I called today. Or they said something came up. Oh, they had forgotten that they had plans Okay, well, I'm going to try tomorrow, and then what? It just kind of goes off. They have no idea that they were invited to the royal wedding, they had other things to do. I know this is also probably, if we're honest with ourselves, the temptation that we face as well as our hearts drift. We forget that we are on the wedding list <laughs> to this great celebration. We know what God has offered, don't we? An invitation to a glorious celebration where where everything has been prepared for us. Where he says, guess what? You come, all your worries will be relieved. Guess what? All your debts have been paid. All that you have ever lost in this world, it will be restored when you come to my wedding feast. And yet how often our hearts are given to worthless things we've given our affections our emotions our time and our attention toward those things that will pass away we have lord i'm sorry i just couldn't make it I, you know there's been a lot going on my kids got my sports i've got a lot going on in my work i'm i've got this great promotion i'm working for you know what? This, the, time, the weather is just right. This is the time for me to go and, and explore. Finally, restrictions from COVID are lifted. I've, I can't waste this because, you know, COVID-22 I hear is coming, and I've got to make the time worth it. Sorry, I don't have time to come back. We have possessions to maintain and more goods to obtain, right? Right? And these things can keep us from running hard after Jesus. Where it says, follow me, I'm taking you to the wedding feast. I got other things going on. This first response of indifference is ultimately what? It's what Paul says in Romans. It's a a refusal to honor or give thanks to him as God, right? And what we see here is even though we're going to see an even greater refusal, but this one's here, indifference to the kingdom, an indifference to worship him, but rather we serve and worship the creation, the things, the good things that he has given us, we have worshiped them rather than him as the creator who is blessed forever. And the scriptures tell us this is a great offense to our God and King, yet how patient is he with us? How patient is he with the world? I mean, the patience, the persistent patience of God is highlighted here. There's others who make their refusal more explicit. and We see that in verse 6. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and get this, they kill them. I mean, who kills people over getting invited to a wedding? (laughs) But these people do. I don't know. Perhaps they were annoyed with the king. These guys just keep knocking. Hey, do you realize it's time? Let's go. Let's go. Whatever the case, they seize the king's servants. They mock them. They ridicule them. They make fun of the celebration. And ultimately, they said, let's kill these people. And what Jesus is doing in this story is he, he, he's recounting really the truth of what Israel did to many of God's prophets. These messengers that God would send to them time and time and time again, calling them to turn from their idols and tr- serve the true and living God, and yet some would be mocked. Many would be ignored, but some they would kill. This would be the fate ultimately of John the Baptist. And it would, too, be the fate of Jesus. As the bridegroom himself has come to the city to announce everything's prepared. This was Israel's story. It's what characterized them. And and the Lord says to the prophet Isaiah, I spread out my hands. Now, imagine that picture. Spread out my hands to you. Saying, come. All the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continually. Can you imagine? Can you imagine someone provoking you to your face continually and you just saying, come, I've prepared everything. I have everything ready to share with you. That's the patience of our God. Our God is persistently patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance, right? That all should turn from their wayward way and come to him. But we do see here that such patience does come to an end. God's not like us. where We're, our, we're uh, under the control of our emotions, We lose our patience. God doesn't lose his patience. He brings his patience to an end. You see the difference? He's not overcome by his emotions. He, out of his character, acts with emotion. And the day will come by which he will no longer extend his grace and his patience to you. But rather he will turn in wrath. And that's the second reason why we must respond because of God's righteous judgment after this total rejection of the king and the celebration that has been extended after his servants have been murdered we see in verse 7 the king was angry yeah no kidding (laughs) yeah he was angry and you could see rightfully so And so what does he do? He sent his troops. Oh my. This escalated. He sends his army, their army, into their city and what does he do? To destroy, to execute those murderers. And get this, and to burn their city. It's as if the The king said, I'm done with my own people. In fact, that's what he does. He burns the city to the ground. Now, obviously, if you're hearing this story, you're like, whoa, what a change of events. And this king, what what does it correspond to? Corresponds to the righteous judgment of God upon those who spurn his grace. His grace is abundant his steadfastness oh it is it is it is it is long suffering but he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness and that day will come and such a rejection of him is actually an expression of hostility and hatred to him it's a rebellion if you will to spurn his grace, a rebellion to our creator who has made us, our creator who sustains us, who gives us every good gift to enjoy. Right now, just, just take a deep breath. Was that enjoyable? Hopefully. You just keep taking those breaths, right? That's a good gift from your creator. A gift that we take for granted. The breath that he supplies us. Most of us today, after, after the service, you'll go and, and you'll enjoy some sort of food and, and you'll say, oh, that is good. That is his good gift to you. The relationships that you share, the people you've come with. I mean, if we, it, it, would, it is embarrassing how much goodness he has lavished upon us. And yet to ignore... The call of the kingdom is to basically say, you've done nothing for me. This was especially true of Israel, his, God's demonstration of his loving care. You think about the story of Israel. The Lord created them seemingly out of nothing. He, he, Abraham and his wife Sarah, and they, they didn't have a child, Isaac, until they were 100 years old. When their bodies were as good as dead, God gave life. And out of them came 12 tribes of Israel, which multiplied and made the nation of Israel. God rescued Israel out of slavery in Egypt. He defeated all their enemies, and he brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey where they had no, they, farming was already done, supplies were already made, the houses were already there, they were already furnished. He had supplied everything that they needed, right? And yet from the get-go, Israel refused to honor him and love him or give him thanks. And what happened? If you know the story, time and time again, judgment broke out upon Israel. You think about at the wedding night of Israel, at at, at Mount Sinai where God is bringing his covenant down to them and he finds that that they are worshiping a golden calf that they have made. And Moses is instructed to take the the Levitical priests to strap on their swords and strike 3,000 down. Again, as they're wandering through the wilderness, they begin to grumble And they say, whoa, if we could just go back to Egypt when we are in slavery, we like the food of Pharaoh far better out here. We've just been left to die, and the Lord sent poisonous serpents who bit at their heels, brought judgment upon them. Or Israel, who was presumptuous and thought that they they were, were mighty in and of themselves, and they would go into battle hastily, and the Lord would let them go out by themselves, and they would be overcome by their enemies. Or when God handed them over to Babylonian captivity for 70 years. The temple would be destroyed, the city would be burned. Well, Jesus says, and now hints at another judgment to come. Where the Lord will send his troops. Whoa, does the Lord have troops? Our Lord owns all the nations. And in this case, the wicked Roman Empire are going to serve his purposes. This is a theme that Jesus has been hinting at. is going to keep on reoccurring. He's going to be much more explicit as we get to uh, Matthew 24 and 25. But Jesus anticipates the day in which those who murdered the servants of God will be judged. And the whole city will be burned to the ground. And this would happen in A.D. 70 when the Roman Empire would come, destroy the temple, ransack it, and burn Jerusalem down. Friends, God will not be mocked. That's the lesson here. And he will not tolerate sin, evil, whether it resides secretly in your heart and you just have an indifference to him. Or whether you express the evil of your heart. And you openly oppose him. God's righteous judgment here of his chosen people, Israel, should serve as a warning to the world. Should be a warning to us. Judgment is coming upon everyone who spurns his grace. It doesn't matter who you are. Yet God in his marvelous wisdom always brings something glorious out of death and judgment, doesn't he? God always brings salvation through judgment, and that's in fact how salvation has come to you and me. After this judgment of Israel, we're going to see even in this story, grace is extended to others. And we know the story, now grace has multiplied to the Gentiles, riches have come to the world, God's extravagant grace is extended to the world, and this is the third reason you should respond to the invitation. If we return to the parable, the king says, the wedding feast is ready, verse 8. The wedding feast is ready. Now, just just get in the moment for just a moment. Hey guys, uh, we're gonna have to postpone the wedding celebration just for a minute. Soldiers, go in, execute those who sent out who who killed my messengers, and burn the city to the ground. Now you just might think this just canceled all the, the whole event, right? Everyone gathers back, sir, we've done what you said. All right, well, party must go on. That's what we got here. The celebration must go on because everything is still ready. Now, these parables are obviously absurd, right? But they're to magnify the extravagance of God's character and his nature and his grace to wake us up and to see. This is quite a thing says, the party must go on, yet, look at the end of verse 8, but those invited were not worthy. Why was Israel not worthy of the kingdom? Well, it's really the same reason anybody would not be worthy, because they do not believe God's announcement of the kingdom and his king. They do not heed the message. That is the only thing that makes you unworthy of the kingdom. You do not respond to the message, to the invitation that has come to you. And the opposite is also true. What makes anyone worthy of the kingdom? That you believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and you follow him and you will be considered worthy of the kingdom. This is why the king instructs the servants then to go to the main roads. You see that in verse 9? And those servants are to go. He says, go therefore to the main roads. That that, that phrase there is a little peculiar. Some translations say crossroads, um, main roads, highways. Um, Some say the exit roads. The idea here is is he's saying, go to the roads that lead you out of town. Well, because the town's (laughs) been burned. And start inviting everyone else. Go to the highways and byways. Go out and, and whoever you can find, invite them to the wedding celebration. Why? Why would the king do this? Because the wedding celebration is ready. And the king is determined to have his wedding hall filled. Do you see that? Our God has prepared his kingdom, and it will be populated. God will be worshiped. Just as Jesus said to unbelieving Israel, even if you don't believe, I can raise up sons and daughters of Abraham from these stones. And that's exactly what this text is saying. He's going to take nobodies, and he's going to make them royalty. He's going to bring them in. This is what Jesus does after the cross and resurrection. He meets his disciples, and he says in the book of Acts, he says, Guess what? The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. You're going to receive power, and then you are going to be my witnesses. And where are they? They're in Jerusalem, the city that is going to be burned in just 30 years. He says you're going to be my witnesses here but guess what you're not going to stop here you're going to go out to Judea Samaria and get this to the ends of the earth you're going to take this wedding invitation this kingdom uh, this invitation of the kingdom and you're going to go and take it into anyone you find you're going to say you're invited you're invited you are invited Now something interesting I just want to show you or at least help you understand or see. The servants in verses one through six are the prophets, the Old Testament prophets. But the servants beginning here in verse nine, who are they? Guess what? That's you and me. See, when you get invited and you accept the invitation, guess what? You're said, hey, then go invite others yourself. Everybody can come. Everybody. And notice we're to take the message of the kingdom. Look in verse 10. Indiscriminately, it says, And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad people and good people. Do you see that? Verse 10. Both the bad and the good. <laughs> What are we to do? There's no distinction. Everybody falls into that category. Now, he's obviously talking in human terms because we know, divinely speaking, there's no one who's good, but, but we think in those categories, oh, you know, that's a good man, that's a good woman. Oh, that person's evil, that person's wicked. Well, Jesus says, I don't care, invite them all. All of them can come to my wedding feast. All of them are invited to the kingdom. What are we to do with them? Notice, they went into the roads and they gathered. They gathered. How do we gather? Well, guess what? We're doing that right now. We're gathering, waiting to be brought in to the wedding hall. That's what we're doing. And God has has done a marvelous thing. There's, There's churches gathering everywhere. And guess what our message is? Guess what? We're waiting for the wedding feast. Go take the invitations out. It doesn't matter who they are. If they look sketchy, guess what? They're invited. If they look like they're too important, guess what? They're invited. If they look like they don't need forgiveness, they do. They're invited. This is better than Oprah Winfrey, right? You get a car. You get a car. You get, you know, this is everybody, right? This is a good reminder to us, brothers and sisters, of our mission. We're even thinking about Annie Armstrong today and we're we're giving to promote the wedding invitations, right? This is a good reminder that everyone who confesses Jesus is Lord. Okay, I want to be a part of that. And who wants to come with us is welcome. Notice he doesn't say you got to clean them up before they come, good or bad. The only requirement is that you believe and come. Guess what? Everything else is taken care of by the king. Everything else. But this doesn't mean the king has low expectations. In this last part of the parable, we see our fourth and final reason we must respond, and that is God's holy expectation. <coughs> we see in verse 11 that that after the, the wedding hall is filled. It is packed to the brim. Jesus says the king enters the hall, no doubt to come and just to see and to bask and all the celebrations coming and, and then he points out and he sees someone there who's not dressed for the occasion. You think of weddings, you dress for the occasion. I'm going to pick on Brian and Anna just a little bit. I uh, was able to participate in their wedding, and I remember it was the rehearsal dinner night, and we had the rehearsal, and I come, and I'm, I'm dressed similar to this, maybe even a little nicer, and I show up, and everybody's got T-shirts, flip-flops, and shorts on. And I was like, okay, I obviously overdressed, that's okay, it's fine, um, at least I'm dressed. I'm here uh, for uh, this wedding occasion. We had a great time, it was wonderful. Well their wedding was out of town, so they decided to have a a, a celebration here at the church. And I was like, well, I'm not making that mistake again. I'm going to come in a t-shirt, shorts, and flip-flops. And I did, and guess what? Everybody's dressed to the T. Everyone's in dresses, suited up, looking great. And I'm walking in, I'm like, yeah, I'm their pastor. Yeah. (laughs) We, you know, you got to dress for the occasion, right? You got, you got to be there. Well, This king notices that this man's not dressed. He's got shorts and flip-flops on. So he asks, how did you get in here without the proper attire? And notice, the man was speechless, verse 12. What's going on? This is judgment day. Everyone will stand before the king. As Paul says, the law will stop every mouth. You stand before him. You're, you're going to stand before him for as who you are. And this man stood condemned. He did not belong. And the question is, what's the wedding garment, right? There's been actually lots of discussion throughout church history. What, what, what's the wedding garment? What, what, what is this man missing? And, and many have seen this as... Well, the, the, the robes of righteousness that Jesus gives us. The, well, that you can't come into the kingdom unless you put your faith in Christ and you're clothed in his righteousness who covers all your sins and, and, and makes you white as snow. Well, that certainly is true of the gospel. That is the only ground by which any of us will stand but others have not so much denied that truth, but, but sought to see maybe that Matthew's emphasizing something more specific than that. That these garments are the righteous deeds of the saints, which are evidence that we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. See, Jesus is said to here to save both good and bad, but he doesn't leave them where they are. He completes the work in them. He he transforms them. You meet Christ and he he begins to change your heart, change your life. And I, I think this is right. Because if you remember last Sunday, Uh, We looked at two other parables, and and maybe you've forgotten, but Jesus is in the same conversation with the Pharisees. This is just the third parable to kind of condemn them for their self-righteousness. You are these wicked people who kill God's servants. And notice in chapter 21, verse 43, as he concluded that parable of the tenants. He says, therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people, what? producing its fruits. It's the same, similar message. What do we have here in the wedding feast? There were original people invited. They showed themselves unworthy. It's been taken from them and is given to others. Who are these others who have the right wedding garments? They are those who produce the fruits of the kingdom. Those who have a genuine heart righteousness. This is the message that Jesus has been preaching from the beginning, if you remember in the Sermon on the Mount, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, which is merely an outward righteousness, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. There's an interesting parallel which uh, Jim McAllister read for us in Matthew, or Revelation 19. We want to go back there, it's the last book of the Bible. Revelation 19, and, and this is a picture of the marriage feast. The marriage supper of the Lamb. And in Revelation 19, all the congregation, the multitude, the great multitude, those who have filled the wedding hall, if you will, are singing and rejoicing. They're saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. Why? For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride, verse 7, has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. You see, the fine linen is the wedding garments. And we see at the end of verse 8, For the fine linen is what? The righteous deeds of the saints. These, is it the, Are we standing in our righteousness? No. But those who are truly transformed by the the king will give fruit. They will do what is good. We'll be salt and light. What's the point? The point is this. Jesus has reiterated throughout the gospel and he is stating here, his people will be a righteous people and they will be transformed from the inside out. Our faith is demonstrated by our righteousness. It's the fruit, as Jesus said, of a healthy tree. How do you know a tree is healthy? Well, it bears good fruit. How do you know it's not healthy? It bears rotten fruit. And anyone who does not have genuine faith in Christ, which, and that is who does the will of my Father, Jesus is saying you'll be found out on the last day. You might be able to fool everyone here might be able to fool everyone because guess what? We can only see what's on the outside. But Jesus says on that day when you stand before the gates, the one who sees the secret parts, the one who knows the secrets of your heart, you won't be able to fool. It's only those who love the bridegroom who will be able to enter the kingdom. Those who do not love him will be like this man we see here in verse 20, or excuse me, verse 13. The king says to his attendants, bind him hand and foot, cast him out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What What is this talking about? Well, this is the torments of hell, isn't it? And then we get this side comment. Why does he do this? Well, many are called, but few are chosen. Everyone's called. The invitation goes out to all. But there will be few who are among the chosen, who are among the elect. Now, that's a, maybe, okay, what's going on here? Well, Matthew isn't so much trying to press the divine mysteries of of election here. He's, he's more using it as a title. All those who are in Christ are his chosen people. And we're going to find that those who are truly his people, those who are truly his chosen people, they will bear the fruits of the kingdom because they will look like their Savior, Jesus. And so this, this parable What is it doing? It's telling us to heed the call of the wedding invitation of the kingdom and reminding us everything is prepared. We just have to respond with genuine faith. Maybe here today, the word has pierced your heart and you're saying, yeah, I've just been given lip service. Oh, Oh, I have given my attention to other things. I have been indifferent to the call. Guess what? The invitation still stands. And if you'd like to take him up on that invitation, I'm going to be out in the hallway. I'll be right there as people are going out. Please come come meet me or, or somebody who brought you. They'd be happy to talk to you. And we'd love to bring you in, whether you're good or whether you're bad. Because guess what? We're all the same or the riffraff that have been invited to the royal wedding, okay? And he's going to prepare us for that day, all right? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, what a glorious news. And I pray that we would heed the call of the kingdom. We do so because you have been patient. You are still patient, not willing that any would perish, Lord, thank you that you've been patient with each one of us, giving us breath and life, even when we spurned your grace. But Lord, let us respond because we know your righteous judgment is coming. Let us respond because your grace is extravagant. Lord, I pray that we would respond because of your holy expectation. But Lord, may we not trust in ourselves. May we ultimately trust in the work that you have done on the cross, you are the slaughtered calf who has been prepared. And you invite us all to the meal. And you promise to give us life everlasting. What glorious news. We pray these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.